Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Trading Coach Podcast. Today, I'm going to share with you a recent interview I did with Tom Farron for his Cryptonomy podcast. Obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about trading, but we're also going to talk about self-employment and adapting the proper mindset, time management, and really how to keep adding challenges to your life. Now, again, the podcast title is Cryptonomy. You can check it out on Spotify and most other podcast apps. It's a brilliant podcast, so make sure you show Tom some love. All right, it's a long one, so let's get into it, and I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to the Cryptonomy Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Farron. This is a weekly podcast which drops every single Friday, which explores the cryptocurrency and global financial markets, trying to educate the listeners on the current affairs in the markets and giving also many take-homes which can improve your own trading. And season two has brought guests, each who are active within the financial sphere, whether that be investing, entrepreneurship, finance, education or business, any kind of sector. And over this next hour or so, my aim is to help you gain an insight into their perspective and allow you to take some of the knowledge that they have learned throughout their career and apply it into your own life. I'm so happy to introduce my guest today as Akil Stokes. Akil has been one of my greatest influences in trading over the past few years. And not just me, he's taught thousands of students across his long educational career and has become one of the most respected trader slash educators in the field. I think it's partly due to his open and approachable style. Now his attention is between his business, Tier 1 Trading, in which himself and other trader, Jason Greystone, are educating students across the world. He also has a podcast called The Trading Coach Podcast, which you definitely should check out. So, Akil, I'm very happy to welcome you to the podcast. Is there anything else you want to add to the listeners um, from that introduction that will help you know a little bit more about you? Hey, Tom, thanks for having me. Uh, no, that was a, a pretty good introduction. Made me sound really good, which I'm excited about. But um, I guess the only thing I would add is that um, I'm out there all over social media. I'm very approachable. So, you know, if any of your listeners ever has a, a question or a comment, you know, don't hesitate to uh, reach out to me. And also advance. I apologize if there's any noise in the background. I have a lot of work done to the house. So hopefully it doesn't, doesn't disturb what we're doing here. Yeah, I have some noise outside as well, but um, we'll, we'll continue on. And um, First of all, I want to kind of ask, um, what's your kind of style of trading? So in terms of, um, we'll kind of start with the difference between swing trading, day trading, scalping. What do you opt for there? 
Between the two, I, I would say I, I am naturally a, a swing trader. Um, and if, if the audience doesn't know swing trader, swing trading is more of your longer term trading. You're, you're typically in positions for maybe days to weeks. Uh, day trading, you're typically in it from minutes to hours. Uh, you certainly want to be out of your position uh, for the most part before the end of the day or the end of your trading session. And scalping is really kind of the, the short term in and out type of kind of, I guess the, the sexy trading people want to do, but as a retail trader, I honestly don't even think it's, it's possible to truly scalp um, just because of the spreads that we have, but uh, you know, everyone's different. Um, but I, I would, I would say I'm, I'm mainly a swing trader. I started off swing trading. However, I did fall in love with day trading once I started coaching. Once I started coaching and uh, really working with traders on more of a hands-on basis, and uh, I do something called a live room where I trade live mm -hmm. with each and every day, kind of just taking them around the market. Um, that brought the day trading style out of me, which is, which is fun, and it has certainly allowed me to become a, a better trader just because of the pure reps that I'm getting in the market. But if I had to choose one, swing trading. I got into trading because of... Uh, I want to open up freedom of time and, uh, and swing trading is what allows me to do that. Do you think that you've adapted kind of your risk tolerance to, to suit your specific stra strategy? So in terms of swing trading is less stressful, one could argue, than day trading. And you've now gone into educating and teaching. So you had to go through the swing trading approach. Um, yeah, yes and no. We have, we have this conversation a lot about with newer traders, uh, you know, where should they start swing trading or day trading? I, I personally believe it's more about fitting your trading around your lifestyle. Um, some people, you know, they, they work a, a nine to five, they're busy, they don't have time to dedicate a certain set period to their chart, so they can't really day trade. Um, others do. For me, swing trading was good to start off with because it was slower. It gave me more time to really analyze the chart and, and, and double check my, my trading plan to make sure I was doing the right things. And I, I guess on a negative, you can say you have, you have the chance to overthink as well, but mm. I'd, mother, I'd much rather have more time to prepare than be in more of a, a rushed environment where I have to be really, really sharp with my analysis, especially as a, a newer trader starting off. Do you advise the newer traders to start on this slower moving Forex pairs or to go to the, um, to the faster moving ones straight away? Or does it, again, depend on their style? Um, well, I, I would start off by saying I, I would start on a trade, or, well, I would start off on the pairs that are the most profitable from their back testing. Um, different currency pairs have different personalities. Not all pairs, and as you mentioned, some are fast, some are slow. Not all of them are going to work the same with the trader's strategy. So mm. when they go through the backtesting process, first and foremost, they should be picking out pairs that actually work with what they're doing. If they are, let's say, a, a trend-following trader and they're trying to trade a pair that mainly consolidates, so they're going to be in for a bumpy ride. Um, but I guess within that realm of, of saying, you know, obviously pairs that have a positive expectancy, pairs that are profitable and work with my trading strategy, um, I think it's really up to the trader. Uh, it's um, If you're swing trading, I, I don't think speed is going to be an issue. And, and if anything, I would say I'd rather have a, a faster moving pair. Um, I'm looking at a pound-yen chart right now. That's a good example of one. I'd rather have one like that versus, say, something like a, a euro-pound, which just 
offers very limited opportunities because it's so slow. Because mm -hmm. as a newer trader, that waiting game and, and waiting and not being able to take anything, that's what typically triggers a psychological mistake where they feel like they need to be involved. Mm -hmm. And that could be more hurtful to your trading than, than the risk of maybe missing an opportunity because the market moves too fast. I think there's patience and then there's patience, isn't there? Um, <laughs> yeah. If, you, uh, if you're picking a slow-moving strategy, swing trading, or you have to have more patience with it, there's less opportunities, and then you're picking a slow-moving pair, you know, you have to be very, very patient. And that's something that takes time psychologically for, um, for anyone in whatever career they choose. And if you're doubling down both on the slowness, in a sense, uh, then... It will be hard for new traders, maybe mix it up in that sense. So maybe you go for the pound year uh, with a swing trading style or even um, a day trading style, maybe with a slower moving pair. Yeah, that, yeah, that's certainly, it's all about finding a balance is, is what I found. Um, it's, it's growing kind of a, a balanced portfolio. It's diversification, even if it's within, like I said, speed of pair, volatility of pair, even if it's with trading strategy. Um, yeah. I've diversified my trading over the years and that's, that's been, been very beneficial to me. So have you had to go from a different pair, hop from one pair to the next pair, depending on different market types, different, um, different, because over, over the years, the kind of the volatility changes in, in certain pairs due to economic um, crises and different things going on. Have you had to change your kind of strategy in that sense? Yes, I, I've learned that it takes a lot of adjustments to be consistently profitable. Um, I became successful trading a, a single strategy. And as a younger trader, of course, after bouncing around from many strategies, but as a younger trader, I assumed that that same strategy would work exactly the same forever, just because I didn't, I didn't know any better. And as I've gained experience in the markets, um, I've learned that market conditions change, economic conditions change. And as the markets change, we must continue to evolve and change as traders as well. So I certainly think it's a, it's, it's, you can never settle in the markets. If you think that you can just do one thing and it will work the exact same way all the time, um, you're going to be in for a big surprise. You have to be willing to willing and able to adapt your style, adapt your strategy. Um, that could even mean adapting the portfolio of pairs that you trade, or mm. adding different ones in, or, or taking certain ones out until the conditions change back in your favor. I totally agree with that. And as you spoke about before, in consolidation markets, you might need to step out of that market for maybe a few months and step mm -hmm. into the trending market, just because your strategy is suited to the trend continuation trades, uh, to give an example. And then you maybe dip back into the market when it starts to trend again. Yeah, and that's a, it, it's, it's got to be done the right way. Um, I think a mistake that many newer traders make is they try to do something such as that, but that, maybe not adapting, but they want to they wanna be a trend trader when the market is trending or before the market is trending. They want to be a counter trend trader when the market is consolidating. But the tough part is, is that you know, we don't know that the market is in trend until it's already trending. We don't know that the market is in consolidation until it's already consolidating. So True, yeah. if you're going to be shifting your strategy that quickly back and forth, there's the, the massive risk of you becoming a trend trader after the trend is over, as soon as the market goes into consolidation. And then once you notice we're in consolidation, you switch from your trend trading strategy to your consolidation strategy, but now the market's back in trend and you're, you're always one step behind the market. So I think there needs to be a consistent approach 
um, in, in my opinion, instead of just, you know, instead of just straight up bouncing from one to the other, um, you work out a trading style where you can take advantage of both, where, you know, you have the ability to trend trade, you have the ability to trade during consolidative periods, um, and it, it kind of evens itself out. And you make small adjustments in between maybe how you take targets or, or how aggressive you are at entering based on the changes in market conditions. But I certainly think just saying I'm going to, you know, go from one to the other, then to the next, um, could be very difficult just because conditions change so often and you, you have the risk of always being one step behind the market instead of being one step ahead of it. Yeah, that's good advice actually. It makes a lot of sense because um, I think I maybe overstated slightly when I was saying hop from one to another. I don't literally mean from day to day. I mean kind of as as uh, month to month as, as times change and if you see different pairs being more volatile and that doesn't suit your strategy, maybe start to backtest another one and go through it slowly with patience, not just leaping from one to another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of newer traders do that. They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll try it and, and learn a, learn a rough lesson. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you, you, we spoke about balance before and, uh, now you're a father of two, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. how has this kind of impacted your routine and, and for the, for the dads out there, for the moms out there also, but also for the people who have other um, responsibilities and, and maybe careers, they have different things that occupy a lot of their time. How do you kind of work that around your trading? It's, uh, it's tough. I'll tell you what, life in general, the, 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 the first kid was a massive change. Um, I, I, the reason I became successful, in my opinion, is because of, of my work ethic. I believe I'm willing to outwork anyone. And when I first got started in trading, I made the, obviously worked in, in hindsight, but the stupid decision to kind of quit my jobs and, and go all in with trading. And I, I literally had, you know, aside from, you know, what, seven hours of sleep a day, I, I had all day to work on my trading. So I, there was so much time I could invest in, in getting better. And at the beginning ages of, or beginning stages of my trading, that time was needed and, and you know, I kept seeing myself improve because I was investing more and more time learning, 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 growing the skill, you know, no different than a, an athlete just being in the gym all day working on their game. And I carried that over um, into uh, when I started managing money, when I started teaching, um, just the ability to invest a lot of time, energy and effort into my trading. Um, and when kids came, uh, a lot of that changed because kids, you know, they become the number one priority. Um, they, they really are. They, they, there's a lot of time that is taken out because you, you either need to deal with kids or you want to spend time with kids. You want to help the mom out. And I really had to adjust to the lack of time, the lack of sleep, the lack of uh, energy that I can put into the market. So over the past, my oldest son is four, he's gonna be five this year, over the past four years or so, um, I've, I've really focused just on the skill and, and different tactics on how to become more organized, understanding that I don't wanna make any less commitment time-wise to my family, that, that's the, the number one priority. So how can I make the best use of the time that I do have and, and be most efficient? And, and that's something that, um, has helped massively in just time management organization. Mm. Okay. Um, so I think you spoke about before, I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts and you've spoke about that 
when you got into the education uh, game and you started to teach other traders, it took a lot of time away from your actual trading and you had to, it impacted your trading negatively. Mm -hmm. um, so how did you kind of overcome that? Did you have to be more focused on specific tasks or, or be more efficient when you were working? Yeah, um, the, the time management organization uh, goes into that too, but it, there, there, came to a, there, there came a point, it was probably a couple of years ago, where I, I had to make a decision. What, what am I going to be, you know, instead of splitting my energy both ways because it wasn't working the way I wanted it to, what is my true cause? What is my true purpose? What am I going to value more? Is it going to be me as a trader and, and worrying, you know, selfishly worrying about my P&L and, and whatnot and being as efficient as I can? Or is it going to be working with the clients and, and helping them achieve a level of success? And, you know, and, and maybe having kids that change this. And, and, and a lot of my life now is, is driven by purpose to my, my kids and my family. Um, but for me, I, I finally accepted that, hey, I, I, the education side of things is what I value most. Um, it is the, uh, we were talking about the other day, um, the feeling I get from helping a trader become successful is a lot stronger and better than the feeling I get from a, a winning trader or a, a good month. And, and that kind of helped me set my priorities. So I've invested, I've accepted the fact that my trading is going to take a hit. Now I'm still successful, still going to be profitable. There's no excuse for, you know, like tanking being bad, but um, you're just not as focused on the markets, on your personal trading, because a lot of focus goes on to helping clients. And, and I've accepted that balance. You know, I, I'm still a good trader. I make a little bit more mistakes than I used to just missing opportunities and whatnot because of the, the lack of focus. Um, but I've become a much better educator. And for me, I just value that higher at this point. Um, but it took me years to really accept that. I didn't want to. I tried to make both work. It's just very, very hard to be the best at two different things when you're splitting your energy like that. Yeah, because it's, um, it's kind of a, a focus versus a multitask. You know, when you were trading on your own, it was all around you. I don't want to say self-centric, but a lot of traders out there are kind of uh, looking at the P&L, looking at their percentage and the pips, and it's all about their kind of track record. Once you open it up and you start educating, and there's other people there, there's different responsibilities, and so you have to find a way to split your time, and it's, it's a, I guess it's a big, quite a demanding task. Yeah, it certainly is. And again, it's, and I think self-centered is the right word. It's not a negative, but it's like, Hey, you know, it's, it's me, it's my trading. It's a, it's a commission based job. Essentially you, you eat what you kill. Um, and like I said, when I first started, I was, I was fully invested, you know, you know 14 hours a day, uh, into trading. Um, and it, it takes a lot of focus to be good. And when that focus is split, uh, it's a little bit, a little bit harder, a little bit, more frustrating um but again when i thought about it from a value perspective and and, and i really enjoy teaching I, I really enjoy helping traders i, I believe that's my my purpose in, in giving back um it makes it a little bit easier to manage um the, the kind of the missed opportunities when you see others taking advantage of them yeah i'm um, talking about kind of uh time management i've got a few few things I wanted to kind of ask a, a little bit of a quick fire round. If you give one, one or two sentence answers here, um, what, what do you do? Do you check the markets 
maybe before breakfast or straight away as soon as you get up or do you allow a little bit of a time a little bit of a grace period to wake up and 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 uh you know give your time give your mind a little bit space to wake up and then check the markets i give myself time to wake up i usually give myself about a half an hour before i, I check any charts aside from open positions okay uh whilst you're working do you have any music on do you have anything on in the background or is it just silence silence i used to have music or uh you know like a, a bloomberg or something like that but i get i got shiny thing syndrome so i get distracted very easily so it's it's silence or like uh instrumentals like classical music or some type of just like beats no words okay when do you go on social media what kind of times is it do you go on specific times in the day or do you leave it open all day uh first thing in the morning when i wake up i, I check emails and, and social media messages and, and stuff like that uh, for about a half an hour until I open the charts. And then I'm on it um, different periods through the day, depending on how much I'm shamelessly promoting myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your kind of favorite medium to actually create content from? Because you, uh, the listeners, for the listeners, uh, Kill creates content on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, very heavy on there. The podcast is probably way more. Um, what's your kind of favorite medium there? Well, my, my personal favorite is I like writing, but no one reads anymore. Uh, so I, I gave that up. I, I like writing articles. Um, okay. it's something about just either putting the pencil to the pad or typing on the keyboard kind of, it, it just, I don't know, something about it. It just kind of allows me to unravel for the day, but, um, quick answer. I would say the podcast just because it allows me to be more open about non-trading related topics such as, as life and kids. And it's, it's more of like a journal for me. Yeah. Do you still, do you still do any blogs? I do not. Um, I, I used to just, it was no, no one was reading it or not enough people were reading it. Um, but I, I like writing. It's, I don't know, something about old school, something about it. So that's kind of, in, uh, it's just a hobby for yourself. Some, some way to relax, maybe an intrinsic hobby. Mm-hmm. So when you are um, doing kind of things away from away from trading, is does your mind never wander onto trades, onto thinking about uh, profit and loss for the trade, or maybe different positions or different setups, or do you kind of once you finish work, you go into that relaxed mode? I try. I I try to get away from the charts as, as much as I can. Um, I coach uh, track and field at a local university, so that is a, a way that kind of distracts me. Um, but if I'm in an open position, um, especially if I know there's something going on in the day, it's, it's always in the back of my mind. Um, what time do I need to check it? What events, what news events are on the horizon that I may need to manage it for? Um, so it's, it's on the back of my mind, but I'm not obsessed over it. I, I, I've learned how to separate myself from the market, so I'm not stressing and whatnot. Yeah, I think that's a very, very, uh, it's, it's a big requirement really to have that work-life balance and to when you're in when you're relaxing when you're spending time with family and friends or doing other things you need to be in the present and not thinking about uh work too much because then you become a slave to the charts you become a slave yeah. to, the, to the work and, and technology um do you kind of use do you kind of try to stay off technology when you're away from the charts because i, I guess that being on your phone being on the laptop and the computer orientated around trading do you try and spend time away from tech yeah uh the, the best the best period in my life came from i broke my phone a, a couple of years ago on new year's and because it was the holiday it took like a week for me to get another phone so i was without 
technology phone wise for about a week and it was just amazing. No distractions, <laughs> spent time with the family. Um, I wasn't obsessed with who's responding to me on Twitter, who's posting on Instagram. Um, it was just refreshing. So I try to stay away from technology. I try to put the phone away and, and I've been doing something called the, the Pomodoro technique where I yeah. just time management and organization. Um, but I'm, I'm like anyone else, man. The, the phone is right next to me. If I'm not doing anything, I'm clicking the button, I'm checking, I'm scrolling through. But um, it's, I, I try to get away when I can, especially from trading-related stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I listened to your podcast on the Pomodo technique, and uh, I actually put it into practice myself. So we'll talk about that in a second. But the last question I wanted to ask for the quick fire, um, what kind of clothes do you work in, in a sense? Is it shirt and tie, like a traditional businessman, or do you go for the casual <laughs> and I asked I ask this because I'm thinking about um, kind of Mark Zuckerberg wears plain clothes all the time and this modern entrepreneur, you know, quote unquote, uh, they wear kind of casual clothes. And so do you wear shirt and tie or the, the casual and how would it affect performance maybe? I, I can tell you a cool story if you allow me to use more than a few sen sentences. Yeah. yeah okay. go for it. <laughs> so the, the quick answer is, you know, I'll, I'm I'm shirt I'm shirt and shorts shirt and uh, pants I'm very basic I don't I'm very frugal I don't spend a lot on anything so I'm a basic t-shirt if I have a cool one with inspirational phrase on it I'll wear that but um, I'm definitely comfortable at, at modern entrepreneur where I don't need to impress anyone um, I just want to feel good but when I first started trading it was really really hard um, to really take trading seriously treat it like a business when I was working from home I didn't have a home office I didn't there was no separation I would literally roll out of my bed and my desk is right there um, so something I used to do to to get into the mindset was I would wake up each morning um, I would shower I'd throw on a suit and tie I'd walk outside hop in my car I'd drive around the block right I would come back, I hope to get the same parking spot. I lived on a very small one-way street, so you know, people were always waiting for the parking spot. But I drive around, get the same parking spot, walk out, right? Walk back into my room, sit down and start trading to kind of assimilate going into an office, into a business. And I, I look back, it was the most ridiculous thing ever. I stopped after about a month because uh, the, the dry cleaning bill was, was uh, an unexpected expense. <laughs> Uh, but it, I, I think it worked. I think that separation from, hey, you're leaving your bed, wake up, you're kind of going to work. Um, I think it worked as a newer trader, but I certainly felt like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> certainly felt like an idiot. Because, yeah, no, it's definitely important to actually to wake up in the morning and feel like if you do leave the house, if, when, if you feel like you need to leave the house, then it gives you a bit more of a purpose if you feel like you you just got to stay inside um and yeah that's definitely a funny story and uh it, it, did, it, did it work or did it work for that month or yeah i i think it worked i think it, it i started taking it more serious i think i started realizing i i have to i have to treat it like a job even though i'm my own boss i can't just kind of roll out of bed whenever i wanted to yeah um so i i think it worked i think it just you know hassle of you know i i only had a few dress shirts and you know i'm sitting in my room sweating in them and you know it just it wasn't it wasn't worth it but i, I certainly prefer um i prefer not working from a home office um i, I definitely prefer working i'm much more efficient um when i'm working in, in an outside office mm. 
we, you just spoke about the uh, Pomodoro technique. Mm-hmm. Just, just tell the listeners what that is and how you've implemented it in your own trading or life. It is a, essentially a, a time managed technique, um, time management technique, where you're dedicating a certain small periods of time to a specific task and then you're taking breaks. So the, the problem with me is, um, again, I'm, I have a workaholic nature, so I will just, you know, I will, I will do something until it's done, but I'll get distracted in between. So I'll, I'll have this task and then I'll, I'll look on social media for five minutes and then, you know, I'll go back to my task and then I look on social media again, or I, I do something in the house. I can easily distract it um, mm-hmm. when I don't kind of put parameters on myself. So what I like about the technique is that when I set my clock, um, what is it? I think it's 24 minutes, 25 minutes. When I set my clock, I, I tell myself, okay, I have 25 minutes to specifically work on this task. And I know that after that 25 minute segment is over, I get either a five minute or 10 minute break. And knowing that that five minute or 10 minute break, I'm not allowed to work. Um, that's when I say, okay, well, that's when I'll go get some food. Or that's when I'll go uh, respond to an email or do something like that. So it keeps me focused on a specific task for 25 minutes. It keeps me focused on, I guess, the, the leisure, the other stuff I was getting distracted on during the break. And it's allowed me to become so much more efficient because it's amazing what you can do when you're fully focused on something and not distracted. A task that takes maybe an hour, you know, could be done in 20 minutes uh, without the distractions. So I, I love it. I love it. I definitely agree with that because I've been thinking in the last few weeks how on the internet there's so much information out there. And if we only took, if, if newer traders only listened to your content, for example, and didn't branch out into other areas, didn't ever watch another YouTube video, I feel like they would learn so much more and their path to success would be a lot quicker. But because we expose ourselves and we're kind of trying to juggle, multitask and taking all this information from so many different sources, um, and it's, it's similar to what you were talking about there because efficiency does fall down. Productivity does decrease as we start to multitask. Um, and using this technique, having that block of 25 minutes of pure productivity where you can get into the flow state. And it's also a little bit of motivation I heard in your kind of voice there that you know that the 10 minutes uh, latter, you're not going to be working. So it kind of motivates you for the 25 minutes to actually complete that task. Yeah, 100%. Like I said, I am, I, and I still have problems taking the breaks. I still find myself kind of, <laughs> if I'm like almost done a task, I'll work a little bit longer, which I guess you're allowed to do. But yeah, it makes it kind of like a game. It's like, oh man, I have 20 minutes left. Like, come on, focus, focus, focus. Lock in for 10 more minutes. And uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I like it. I, I really enjoy it. Do you ever experience the kind of flow state where, um, I don't know how much you've read about this flow state. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a book. I'm not going to say the author's name because it's it's long and I'll do it in injustice. But I'm reading it at the moment, and um, and it talks about this um, where where there's no kind of distractions, like that you're not feeling hungry, you're not feeling tired, or even bored. You're fully focused on the task at hand. And from my personal experience, it kind of maxes out around the three hour mark. <laughs> so I can, if I'm writing, if I'm uh, doing something. After three hours, that'll be a time where I'm looking around and things will be distracting me, the stimuli from the environment and different things. Have you ever experienced that in, in kind of looking at charts or producing content? Yeah, all, all the time. And that's one of the reasons I like working from 
an outside office. Uh, it's kind of a, it's a, it, it allows me to be in that flow state. And it's also kind of a, a Pomodoro technique as well, where like, I want to go home, but I know I need to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no distraction. There's no, you know, there's, there's no kids running around in the background. There's no daddy, are you done yet? Daddy, are you done yet? Um, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of pure work. And I'm like you, I, I try to, um, I'm really big on taking breaks. I, I understand the, um, the attention span that we have as humans. So I, I, I understand the importance of breaks and, and not getting overwhelmed where your, your brain turns to mush. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love just, I, I love putting myself in, in different places. Um, I'll, I'll go to, you know, when I was writing and whatnot, I'll go to parks and, and write. I, I get a lot of my uh, course material and content done when I'm, when I'm on the road, I'm on the road about 30 weeks out of the year. Um, so if I'm on an airplane, you know, put the headphones on, just kind of just lose myself in, in productivity. And I, I like it um, until it gets to the point, like you said, where your brain has had enough and, and then it's time to kind of call it quits. Yeah, you've got to also personalize that to yourself. I mean, I've understood that three hours is kind of my maximum and then I have to take probably an hour's break at least. Um, but then there's other people who could potentially go for even longer. There's um, different creatives out there in the world, whether you're a, an artist, a dancer, whatever, you could be going for hours and hours on the, on end. And it's about just finding that personality um, and fine tuning it to yourself. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue with the kind of theme of... Um, of setting boundaries and, and kind of a resistance to limitation, but in a positive sense. And so something I actually messaged Akil within the last few weeks, actually, I said that um, what's his opinion on rule-based strategies versus intuition. Um, and I said that something along the lines that for the last like about three years, I've been around 80% rule-based. Mm-hmm. So the strategy which I use for uh, foreign exchange and cryptocurrency it would be 80% rule-based in a sense that, um, and you spoke about this before, the if-then protocol, where um, if something happens, if an event happens, then I know exactly what to do. That will be 80% of the time. The, the 20% was kind of left to gut feeling, um, just a kind of an intuition, uh, an emotion. What do you, what's your kind of opinion on that? And, and obviously, we've already spoke about it, but for the listeners, um, your ideas about a rule-based strategy versus that inner gut feeling and a bit of intuition? Well, I think, I think a trader needs to be 100% rule-based, but there are ways around that. Um, <laughs> there, are ways, uh, there are ways to add that intuition because in- intuition is real. Um, and that's another thing I've learned in just my experiences as a trader. I've been trading for, man, how many years now? 2007, since my, what, 13 years of, of trading? Yeah. Um, I've, I've learned that gut feeling I, I've learned over the years where I'll, I'll see stuff and I'll be like, man, we're going up. And <laughs> someone will ask me, um, you know, well, how do you know that? I'm like, I, I just, you know, I, like something in my brain has seen this before from looking at thousands and thousands and thousands of charts, mm-hmm. but you just can't put a feeling on it. And that's the intuition. And what I think people don't understand is that intuition is based off experience. Intuition is a skill in itself. It, it's a, there's a massive difference between someone like me um, saying, uh, I have this feel that this is gonna happen versus someone who's picking up a chart for on day one. They, they, there's nothing to, that's purely based off emotion and they want to do something. Mine is based off some type of experience, some type of um, observation that I can't quite pull from. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I think that the overall structure of someone's trading should be rule-based. We have to have parameters to stop us from, you know, going off the rails. But something that, I, that I've done in my personal trading is I've, you know, I've created lots of outs for me in my trading rules, meaning there are different variations of rule-based trading tactics I can use from the, the very aggressive to the very conservative. Um, and the intuition that I see in the market, um, I, I still personally can't just like see a trade and be like, man, um, we're going up by it right now. But if I have that type of intuition, I can then go to one of my very aggressive entry tactics and get involved that way. Where if there's another trade that meets my rules, but I'm like, man, I have this feeling that ah, this doesn't look right. I can go to one of my more conservative entry approaches. So I have that flexibility, mm -hmm. um, but I still have to work within that. One, that that rules-based parameter. I just can't get out there and and do anything that I want. And part of that also comes from being a teacher. You know, you imagine it from being a coach and a teacher. We're trading within a glass house. Everyone sees everything we do. It's it's fully transparent. Yeah. How am I going to address a student who asks me, "Hey, why did you do that?" If I don't have a reason why, it, it's unprofessional for me to just be like, "I just thought it would go up." Well, because well, if, if Akil thinks it's okay to do that, well, now it's okay for me to do that as well. And now it's just it's it's not being a good example. So that's a little it's it's I'm in a different situation than most traders um, mm -hmm. because I have that extra responsibility. But I certainly believe in um, I certainly certainly believe in intuition. Um, it's a real thing, and I, I think the best way to deal with intuition is is to continue to work on figuring out why you have this feeling. Um, what you're pulling from and then eventually turn that into some type of uh, rules-based tactic that you can use consistently. So you spoke about conservative and aggressive entries uh, strategies. How many strategies do you have? Um, I don't know. I, I really, I, I've gotten away from the word strategies. It's just, uh, I'm a price action trader. Um, so I, I don't like to think of myself as trading a specific strategy because there's so much flexibility within it. I like to think of myself as just being, I am a, a technician. I, I am an, uh, a chartist. I am someone that evaluates what what is happening on the chart and I can use different techniques or tactics to get involved. Um, it's, it's hard because it's so, again, it, with, with price action trading, there, there's there's so much I can do. I can trend trade. I can counter trend trade. I can uh, trade advanced patterns. Uh, I don't I use an indicator for help um, for kind of confluence and whatnot. Mm. Um, so it's hard to, it's not like hey, each separate individual strategy. It's more of a, more of a, a buffet of tactics that I can use in the market. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an overall approach. Yeah. So in terms of like, you don't say that I have a trend continuation strategy and if the market retraces to the 61.8 Fibonacci, I will do this. It's more just, is it, am I right in saying it's more, it's more open, it's more fluid and you kind of use your confluences, maybe your support and resistance, your Fibonacci and then build it all into there. So would you take a, a trend continuation and then a following counter trend and the next trend continuation? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. All, all the time. And it just, it, it goes on, uh, mm -hmm. like I said, it's, it's, it's fluid and it just, it's based on analyzing the market. So it's, it's a four step process, identify, predict, decide, execute. Mm -hmm. It's looking at the chart. It's identifying 
what is happening? Where's the market trading at? What has price done? It's taking that information and making the prediction, okay? Um, because this happened, because I identified this, then this is what's most likely to happen. Uh, predicting what direction price is most likely to travel to um, or in, predicting the level in which price is likely to travel to, and predicting kind of the, the method that price is gonna to take to get to that level. Is it gonna go straight there? Is it gonna go, is it gonna retrace first and then go there? Is it gonna consolidate then break out? And then taking all of that information and deciding how I wanna trade it. And it could be, depending on where price is at, it could be different things. It could be, okay, price has a lot of room to go higher. Let's look for this trend continuation trade and ride it up. Or price is almost at that level where I predicted the trend continuation trade to go. If it gets to that level of resistance, then I'll look for a counter trend move and, and catch a little bit of relief. Um, so it's the same, and that's what I'm trying to get across to our traders. It's I'm getting away from, you know, I'm a trend trader, I'm a counter trend trader. Obviously those approaches are, are there, but it's in general, you know, it's looking at the market the same exact way, no matter what type of trade you are. A trend trader and a counter trend trader should be analyzing the market the exact same way. Mm. The only difference is, is how they're approaching it. So the, the target level for a trend trader could be the entry level for a counter trend trader and, and vice versa. But the analysis at the core is exactly the same. What is price doing? What is price likely to do next? How and when can I get involved? That's, that's definitely true because um, you can kind of complicate the charts quite a bit if you are drawing different confluences on, on areas and then you're looking for the counter trend and the next move. You can um, make the chart very noisy and very busy. You spoke about before you were a little bit of a minimalist. Do you kind of keep your charts quite slick and clean in that sense to try and, when you approach the market, when you approach the market in the morning, you check the market, you kind of know what's happening and you understand that and you don't have to do loads of analysis every single day then. Yeah, um, I, clean charts, naked trading. Um, <laughs> you asked what I, what I wear earlier, naked trading. <laughs> but, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's price, it, it's price. I, I do use, um, I use two indicators. One is shown in my chart, uh, one is hidden because it doesn't need to be seen, but I use the, the relative strength index. That's just the indicator of my choice. Um, but it, it's price is number one. I, I've even seen myself, um, I, I used to, use Fibonacci's a lot more extensions and retracements. I, I even see myself not even using those as much. Um, mm. it, it's, it's really become price and, and, and it's funny, I've kind of gone backwards from trading a more complicated strategy and, and not mm. really knowing about price to really understanding the importance of the story that each individual candlestick tells me and really interpreting each of the markets move and, and, and I don't trade a really large portfolio. So I, I like to think that, you know, I, I know the markets, the ones that I trade, at least like the back of my hand, I know exactly what's going on at all times. And, and that just, I know their personality and that just helps give me an, an even greater edge in the market. And every single candlestick matters. Every, everyone that is printed on the chart is for a reason. And every single wick, it hit a certain level, a psychological point. It, it was supposed to do that and it happened and that means something. Every single action in the market means something. And it's interesting you said that stripping it back to the naked charts. And I think that comes with experience. Um, you see a lot of the, um, there's a lot of jokes online as well about beginner traders, how many, how many lines, <laughs> and everything they have in the chart, a lot of memes about it on Twitter. 
for profit. Some of my old charts up there, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> and as you do get the experience, though, you you just tend to strip it back because you are seeing it with your eyes, and um, it's something, for instance, like structure. You now, uh, I and you, don't have to plot, don't have to write higher low, higher low, higher high on every single level because we can see it with our eyes mm-hmm. and we can see it there. So we don't have to put structure on the chart in a sense. Um, and it, other strategies, I don't want to say strategies, other um, tools, trend lines, Fibonacci, whatever, sometimes you don't even need to put them on because you can actually see them, um, see them with your eyes and you kind of train yourself to do that. Actually, I was... It was, a, it was about two years ago, I was, I was listening to a video of yours and there was a trader who said that, um, Akil, how can you see that that is hitting the 60% uh, Fibonacci? Do you, do you remember that at all? You probably had many instances like that. Yeah, I, I remember it, it started with, um, you know, I'm at the point right now where I can, you know, it's building my RAS, my reticular activating system, where, like you said, I, I can see... Fibonacci levels without even drawing them on and not all the time but like if you give me a chart I can tell you I can pretty accurately predict where a 382 and a 50 percent and the six million are at um, and I remember that that came from one of my trading mentors we had a live event um, and you know imagine this big conference room and, and we're, we're sectioned off I'm in the back right there's another trader in the back left we're doing our things and we have a big um, a big screen in the front of the conference room or the auditorium I should say for kind of like the the trade of the day, so whoever has like the the trading idea, they 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 project it up there. And one of my mentors was trading oil, he was trading crude on a range bar chart, and he's trend trading it, and and he's like, I mean, he's making a killing. And you know, the crowd starts to wander from back in my area to up to there. And I'm like, why is everybody leaving? What's going on? And I you know, I I pause what I'm doing, and we're just sitting there in awe. And he's like, he's like. Price move here, going to resell at the 382, going to take, take it off at the 127, 628 retrace, we're going to buy, double back, blah, 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 sell this, buy that. And he's naming all these Fibonacci levels, and like he has nothing on his chart. And this trader is, um, he was colorblind, so I'm like, you know, I'm like, well, maybe he's drawing them on there, and like maybe he thinks he sees them, but they're not actually on there. And he's, he's doing this and, and just extracting, like money's just shooting out of his pocket from how much he's making from a, from day trading oil. And we finally, we, we go to lunch, we're, we're taking, we're at a, this was a, a, an, a, an event, so it was time to take our traders to lunch. And I go up and ask him, I said, I said, hey, Todd. He's like, yeah. I said, yeah, so I said, good trading, um, but you're up there, you're, you were naming all this like 382 and 618 and 127 stuff, but you know you didn't have anything on your chart, right? He's like, yeah. <laughs> so we just, I'm like, you just making up? He's like, no, it was a 382 retracement. I'm like, dude, there's nothing on your chart. Like, what do you tell me? I'm looking at it right now. He's like, can't you see it? I'm like, no, Todd, no. Like, there's nothing there. So then he goes back through his entire kind of shellacking of the market. He goes back and draws the fibs on, and they're exactly what he called them out. Really? They're like, they're spot on every single one. He's like, I told you, man. He said, what, you can't see it? And it just like, from that moment, like that, that was, you know, and this guy, excellent trader, one of the best traders I've ever met. Uh, he just, you know, a pleasure to be coached and mentored by him. He was kind of the one that helped traders when when pit trading dried up and people went to computers. He helped those traders adjust. And I kind of made it that goal to, to train my eyes so well that I can see these levels without even drawing them on. And, and 
fast forward how many years forward, I'm, I'm not at his level and I, I never will be. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm about 90% accurate and, and just, just cause I use them so much. Yeah. When, uh, how many years experience did you have trading when you were with uh, Todd in that session there? Uh, that was probably, uh, is this, is this counting years of experience, bad trading too, or just good trading? <laughs> Oh, it's just like just, just trying, just trading, yeah, just trading, just looking at the uh, charts, yeah. Probably, uh, probably about four, four or five years. And when did you start to get that kind of foresight? Not foresight, but you could see the charts. You could start to predict levels uh, more than fifty percent of the time. Probably, probably about, I'd say about, maybe about eight years in. Wow, eight so eight it, years. So it 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 took a while, and it didn't. You know, it, it didn't it didn't start until um, when, when I started coaching more and, and sharing my charts. That's when I started kind of showing it off because people would ask, "Hey, is that a uh, is that a a six one eight retracement?" I'm like, "No, it's not." Or is that a valid pattern formation? No, we didn't get that retracement. Well, how do you know? Well, look at it. And be like, "Well, can you draw on the fit?" Like, like why? Like, can't you see it didn't hit it? It's just shy of it. Like, draw it on. Not then I would draw it on and show them. And that's when it kind of hit me. Like, wow, like. So I might've been doing it before I even realized it just by being able to see like, Oh, we didn't hit that or we did hit that. Um, now I still, I still throw them on to check. I'm, I'm not that, uh, <laughs> I'm not that cocky enough to, to risk money on, on, on my ego and being wrong. Um, but it's a, it's a cool little game I play and it's something to keep, you know, it keeps things light. It keeps things exciting for me. It, it, anything I can do to take the stress off of like, Hey, I'm, I am, you know, feeding my family off of this decision anything to take my mind off of that is uh is helpful and it just makes it fun and that's why i got into trading in the first place to, it's yeah. enjoyable it's a puzzle exactly yeah um talking about complexity and uh kind of challenge you within the trading um trading world is there anything that you do to um how can i say this um as you progress as a trader or anything in life any career any any action you take that they get to a point where you need to con you see, add to the complexity to continue to progress. Is there anything that you do in terms of trading to do that? Um, do you want me to give you an example of how I do it, and then maybe you can? Yeah, go. Yeah, go ahead. For me, what I do every single month, the first of the month, I change the color of my candlesticks. Mm. So, um, I think last uh, two months ago was like uh, the traditional green for a bull candle and red for a a bear candle. Uh, June just gone. I had um, orange for a bull candle and grey for a bear candle. And then the this month is like blue and um, I believe it's black. So I change the colour of my charts every single month. And the reason for that is because it trains my eyes to focus more. Because what happens is that when you're looking at the same thing over and over again, day in day out. You start to relax a little bit more consciously you relax and yeah. you're not alert to the situation um, and if you think back to hunter gatherer times if you were in an area in a complex which was um every single thing in your environment and stimuli was was comfortable and you understood or you understood the different things but then when you went to a new environment there would be more threats and you'd have to be more alert and more conscious yeah. bringing it back to trading so i kind of changed the color of my charts to help me focus more and help me see things maybe I didn't see before, the wicks, the little open and close and things like that. Is there anything that you do to keep challenging yourself? That's a good point. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was, I've been reading a book that's been talking about the same thing about the, 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 
safety and you know whatnot. But um, I actually I actually do that. I just never understood. I never thought about it in that light. Um, I'll change backgrounds. I'll change colors. Um, not every month, but every once in a while. I just I just thought I did it because I get bored of looking at the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. So I I do I do that. I just never actually realized there was a, a greater a greater purpose. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll change backgrounds. I'll change candlestick colors, uh, colors of indicators, uh, just to keep things fresh and, and mm. not stagnant. So I'm yeah, that, what was that? Today. What was that book you're reading at the moment? Um, it's called um, The Culture Code. Um, something of highly successful groups, but The Culture Code. Okay, and that taught you about kind of changing your environment to help you focus. Well, it, it just talked about um, about humans craving safety, and, and, and I've been doing a lot of research on this over the last, not a lot, but I've been reading up on this over the last couple of years, kind of what you said about how, um, I guess more in a sense, we've gotten, I don't want to say softer, but I guess we've gotten softer as human beings yeah. because we've eliminated most of our threats, so that attention span of like being aware of all your threats in your environment isn't the same. Now, I, I, I think I'm naturally paranoid, so the first thing I do when I step into it, I look at anything that may be suspicious. I think that's more of, I'm from Philadelphia, PA, not, not the greatest city in the world. Um, so maybe part of it comes from that. Um, but I've been looking at that topic for a while, not necessarily trading related, but just in life related, how we're, I don't want to say we're coming, becoming softer as humans, but we're not, our instincts and our, the senses that we used to share with animals are becoming less and less simply because we don't use them or, or require them on a daily basis yeah and we've added so much access to that we've we've got so many materialistic items now that we we've kind of lost touch with a lot of things like that we've lost yeah. touch with our, our primordial instincts i suppose and and you spoke about minimalism before there or, or um just kind of not not purchasing all the all the fancy clothes and the suits <laughs> um <laughs> keeping the 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 charts clean it's kind of a modern day um way to get back to our our basic needs isn't it it's, it's using technology to bring us back to that in a sense yeah and i think for me it's it's again having having children help because you see you know especially and children go through the same phase we teach new traders we always talk about them going through four stages of trading the first one is kind of the unconscious incompetence where you're similar to uh, a very young child where you just, you don't know what you don't know. And, and everything in the world is, is new. And being a father and seeing my kid go through that where it's like, he's just exploring like, Oh, this is a tree. Like no idea what it is, but he's exploring the, the simplest things in life, a cardboard box. It, it's kind of helped me realize, you know, Hey, we're, we're blessed with all this technology and whatnot, but pleasure and just pure joy can come out of the, the simplest things, not the material things, just life in itself. Um, I and that's 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 been a big eye-opener for me definitely agree with that how do traders evolve in that kind of four stage thing there so uh, well, uh, the first one is it's a an unconscious incompetence so basically they, they don't know what they don't know where you're you're new to trading it's shiny you don't know what's good you don't know what's bad you kind of see stuff on the internet and you know basically the you're learning by experience the first thing you see you believe is right so if you watch a video that says, hey, make $100 a day, every day, or whatever, you're like, okay, well, that's true. Mm -hmm. um, or this specific strategy is the best ever. Okay, well, he said it was, so why not? 
And then you kind of try it out and you learn from experience. And then you go to the next stage, which is competent incompetence, where you understand that you don't know. So the first one is you don't know that you don't know. Now it's like, okay, I know that something I'm do I know that I'm doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to make it right, but I understand that what I'm doing doesn't work. And this is where a trader kind of goes after this stage, they go on the quest for knowledge. Let's, yeah. let's really try to learn how to improve. Um, and you know, they're reading books, uh, watching videos, taking courses, stuff like that. And then they get to the stage. Yeah. Yep. They get to the stage where it's, it's uh, competent competence where, okay, now I know what to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know how to do it. Now the question is, can you actually do it? And I think this is where most traders get stuck at where they know how to trade. They know how to read a price chart. They maybe even have a strategy that works, but they can't consistently execute it day in and day out of the market due to lack of discipline, psychological issues, you know, what all the things that stop traders from being successful. Um, and that's probably the, that is the hardest stage to overcome. Mark Douglas even calls it the kind of the boomer buster category where they're not quite bad to go broke and blow their account, but they're not quite good enough to really gain a lot of value out of their trading. And it's, it's tough. Um, and, and finally, the last stage is the uh, unconscious competence where kind of like we, what we talked about, you're just running on autopilot. You have that intuition where it's like, man, I don't even know why that was, I don't even know why I took it long or, you know, but I did. I'm just like, met my rules, I took it. There's no thinking about it. There's no hesitation. You're looking at a chart. You're like, oh, yeah, we're going to bounce off this level. It's like, how do you know that? I just know. You're running on autopilot. You just become a money printing machine. Mm. Um, and that's the ultimate destination. And, that, and that's when trading gets boring, when you're no longer like, oh, my gosh, like, you see that big red candle? Oh, my gosh, pound yen is, is falling, falling. You're just like, yeah, we had a three, two retracement. It came in the structure. And, you know, it's supposed to do that, like. What you didn't see that? It's yeah. it's at that stage. Yeah, I, it's supposed to do that. I think. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> don't don't tell don't tell the markets I said that. <laughs> I think um I think it, George Soros said something like um mm -hmm. trading supposed to be boring. I mean I don't have the exact quote here, but trading is supposed to be boring, and if it isn't, then you you're not doing it correctly, or maybe yeah. you're not going to be profitable. Um and yeah, it's going to be boring because you are unconscious. Then you're just following uh, uh, ingrained habits which have been built up over time over time and you're doing it on autopilot unconsciously and just looking at the markets you can see a 3838.2 um, even if the, tr the the market is trending very fast like on, on I don't know if you tried US CAD mm -hmm. yep. uh, we saw at the moment a very very large fall the bears took control and there was a, a large decline in price and the trend line was moving at a quite steep gradient. I mean, you don't have to be a, uh, the best trader there to see that at some point there, the market was going to pull up and start to move higher, and it has done today. Um, and that's kind of an intuition. That's the fourth mm -hmm. stage there. As you said, you just, you just kind of know it's going to happen, and the similar thing happened to the uh, Australian dollar, US dollar, a few, I think it was last week. Again, the market was trading very, uh, very steep gradient, and it was just that, you're kind of seeing it before it's going to happen and you don't even need anything on the charts it's a naked chart you can just see yeah. from the candlesticks that a retracement is due to come yeah it's like i mean if anyone listening you know if you many of you i'm guessing are probably listening to the podcast on your way to work it's like how many times have you driven to work i know i've had many times where 
you know, I'm driving to a, you know, a, a place that I, I frequent and it's like, I don't even remember getting there because it, it's a, a five minute drive. I, you know, I go out and make a left, make a right, stop, light, blah, 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 make a left, make a right park. Mm-hmm. And you just, you do it so much that you kind of become unconscious. And, you know, many times you zone out, you're listening to, you know, you're thinking about whatever thoughts and before you know it, you're there. You're like, when did I get here? Mm-hmm. Um, you just unconsciously just, just go about your business. And that is the flow state, really. I mean, it can be positively used for um, for working productivity in whatever creative uh, medium you have. Or it can be, you know, in driving, it's a flow state. It's where you're like, it's kind of like a zombie state where you just lose track of time and then before you know it, you're there. Nothing, exactly. <laughs> to just touch on the cryptocurrency markets, um, obviously you don't actually... Um, trade it on a daily basis or I'm not sure if you invest in it long term but trade on a daily basis yourself um what's kind of you been your assessment from the outside looking in um the bear market for for almost two years and now what is pretty much confirmed the recovery um what, uh, you broke up a little bit what what uh, what what pair were you talking talking about okay so um I was just talking about the cryptocurrency market so um what's kind of your assessment from the outside looking in over two years for a bear market and then and then the recovery um well well not not too familiar with crypto the the one thing i can i can say is that it looks in my opinion it seems to be it's a very young market obviously and you know it seems to be a very emotionally driven market yeah um and it reminds me a lot of forex when it not when it first started necessarily but when we first had access to actually start trading it, mm. um, where there's a lot of emotional moves. There's, there's a lot of movement in the market and then there's a lot of the kind of the, the pile on everyone wanting to catch the move, which ends up you know, giving you these, these sharp, aggressive moves in the market. And then you see the relief and you see kind of the, the, the taking of profit by those, who are, are, by those who know what they're doing. And then you see the panic from those who just kind of hopped on the bandwagon and now don't know how to get out of it. So you see a lot of sharp movements up and down. Um, and from what I've watched, really the only one that I've watched have been uh, Bitcoin, just because a few of the trades I work with, we've done some technical analysis on it um, and whatnot. It just seems to be very emotionally driven. It, yeah. it seems where it's like you have your breakouts, the bandwagon hops on, and then you have your steep declines. Um, and it's it's... You got to be sharp, I guess. You know, I've I've never traded it, but I, I mean, you've got to, you've got to know, you you got to know when where you want to get out, where you want to get in, where you want to get out, and um, before you get caught in kind of the aftermath. Even even for the swing trading star, I mean, it is like very very fast. It's probably ten x on the moves uh, in terms of pips. I mean, probably maybe eight eight to nine x um, that you see in the in the foreign exchange markets. Yeah, and and so, but and that's why kind of I've I'm coming a little bit back to the foreign exchange market. I'm kind of half and half in between now because of that. It's the 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 massive volatility brings with it. It does bring profit, and it does bring you know um, a feeling of uh, enjoyment potentially, and you're feeling like you're succeeding in a market. But also you've got to factor in the stress levels and also the. you when you when you're away from the child we spoke about before if you're on the track field and you're uh, you're teaching um 
see from different runners. You don't want to be thinking about the price of Bitcoin. And if yeah. it is more volatile and the market's going to move like a thousand dollars by the time you've started and finished, you're more likely to think about it than you are maybe the FX market, which has only moved 25 pips. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I, I wish the I wish the volatile were a very slow volatility year for uh, the FX market. I, I think par- partially that is due to the emerging crypto market. Um, I, I I think it is. You know, FX used to be kind of the very similar to how crypto is now where it was the the new kid that uh you know very volatile you know 10x moves and and now we're seeing that in crypto and we're seeing fx markets uh and they've always consolidated but we're not seeing the type of movement that we're used to and not the type of you know for action for newer traders that maybe they want to see in other markets and, and I, I think we're a lot of people are uh um, they're, they're moving yeah to the next thing and, and that's typical we saw that with binary options and whatnot as well. So it doesn't surprise me. Um, but I would guess that's one of the reasons we've had kind of a, a string of lower volatility um, in the Forex market mm. since crypto really kind of came out there for the public. And I think that um, in terms of your kind of trading, is this going to, um, if we do see more consolidation markets, is this going to impact your trading or are you just going to change your approach? Um, I, I can I can do well in either type of market. I, I'm naturally a counter trend trader, support and resistance. So um, I'll be able to do just fine in a consolidated market. Mm-hmm. One thing that it, it will cut out, and I, and I noticed that 2014 was a very low volatility year. This has been one as well. Um, I take about, you know, probably about, I would say like four or five, what I call home run trades for the year. And those are just like bigger bigger, longer term trend following trades where like this market has a lot of room to run. Yeah. I'm in it in the right direction. You know, let's see, let's get as much as we can out of it. And I'll usually hit about two or three of those a year. And those will, those will give big jumps to my equity curve. So if you can imagine my equity curve being kind of just a slow, steady move from the bottom left of your screen to the top, right, slow, boring, consistent, right? Nothing to, to go crazy about those home run trades are those kind of big leaps and they happen usually about two or three times a year. Um, what I've noticed is that I haven't had one this year. Mm. Uh, we're halfway through. So it's, it's, it's going to take away from, well, I don't want to say it's going to take away from that. Those trades still exist. Um, but the opportunities to catch those are, are going to be you know far and few between. That's interesting to hear because obviously Bitcoin has gone from, um, the, the the lows it, it, it does correlate with Bitcoin in 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 my opinion there um, as money is taken out of fiat currencies and put into this new asset class Bitcoin has obviously gone on a on a bull on this year would it go three three thousand to like fourteen something like that what uh, was it three thousand two hundred um, to just shy of fourteen yeah. I remember looking at, uh, I was doing some analysis of like a descending triangle on there and calling the, this was back at, I think about 6,000. It kind of met like a, a, a floor at 6,000. I was like, you know, this has bearish break all over it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'd never look at Bitcoin, but I remember doing some analysis and, and it broke. I'm like, oh yeah, I got the prediction right, blah, blah, blah. And then went like another year, year without looking at it. Uh, and then before, not a year, but like, you know, like six months without looking at it. And before you know it, I'm like, oh my gosh, when do we get up there? <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's amazing. 
I think the technical analysis as well doesn't work. As, <laughs> it doesn't work. As, it just doesn't work as well on the on the market because it, it doesn't respect it mm-hmm. um, as much as foreign exchange does at all. Um, you could reliably backtest uh, a Fibonacci move on the FX markets or a trend line. Um, but in the crypto market, because we don't have that historic data so much, um, it doesn't respect it as much, and we, we smash through levels completely. I was calling the $6,000 level to be to be held there and for a resistance point and just to fall lower. Now we're up to 14000 It's just nothing that I would ever have imagined. And you get into this state of speculation. It is a speculation rather than... Um, Rather than actually the 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 asset being of correct value of worth, it gets into a period of where if someone buys, someone else is going to buy, and it enters kind of a bidding contest. Then and then the price just continues to rise and overinflates. Okay. Wild Wild West. You got to know what you're doing, hey. But that's it. That. That's where I, I, I would guess more, you know, where more of that intuition comes in, in, in place where it's like, hey, this doesn't necessarily affect the same used to, but, you know, I've seen this type of, of rally before. I've seen this type of, you know, retest and hold. Mm. Um, you know, we're currently getting some, you know, seeing some buying pressure right now. Just looking on the, the daily uh, indecision day yesterday and, a, you know, possibly a pin bar today. Maybe that's that intuition where you're like, man, I see that two tests of that level. Mm. Um, down at a 3D2, here's that retracement. And, yeah. and if you have the rules that allow you to do it, I mean, that maybe that allows you to get involved. Yeah, that's very true. It's very true. What's your kind of future plans? Uh, I'll kind of wrap up the podcast here. What's your future plans? What kind of content can we see from you? And um, and yeah, that's... Well, I have a new... Uh, been working on a new course. Um, I released a course last, what, 2000, yeah, last year, 2018, that um, I finished a year before for teaching, uh, you know, I've always myself as a different thinker. Um, I've, I learned differently than, you know, that was finally put my way of thinking into a course where I taught others. And then honestly, at least it, and people will think I'm crazy. And it really, um, it really came out quite well. People love the approach. So, um, I'm doing a follow-up on that. Just, uh, the, the first course is mainly talking about just candlesticks and, and like we mentioned earlier, the importance of reading and, and, and valuing uh, each individual candlestick, being able to interpret the story and how to be the edge. And I wanted to get to the next level and, and, and talk more about trends and how there is no true trend in the market. Uh, the market moves in fractals and, you know, one trend is could simply be a, a different piece of a bigger trend and how it, it doesn't matter about finding the true trend rather it matters about making the prediction on where price is going to go. So um, I haven't started recording it yet, but I've got all the, I've got all the content completed. Uh, so hopefully I'll have that out. My goals a month. If I stop procrastinating and then start setting my, setting my tomato timer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where can, where can people find that? What, what, uh, that's going to be uh, it's uh, tier one trading.com. It's going to be one of our, uh, one of our premier courses. Um, I may do a launch. I, I got to talk to my, uh, talk to my teammates this, this Friday. Um, I planned on launching maybe a, a, 
uh, a tester version of it, uh, meaning inviting maybe a hundred traders or so in to kind of uh, test it out and get their feedback just to make sure everything makes sense. Um, so I may be doing that as well. Um, but yeah, www.tier1trading.com will, will be included with uh, one of the training courses that we have there. Right in the beginning, after the Foundation Course 1, this one will be called the Foundation Course 2.0 with some type of fancy title behind it. <laughs> <laughs> and where else can the listeners find you? Different social platforms? Um, yeah. Um, everywhere on uh, social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, at uh, Akil Stokes RTM on both Instagram and Twitter. I'm on Facebook as well. I, I do ask if you're going to follow me on Facebook. Uh, Follow and search out Akil Stokes Trading Coach. Um, that's where I actually post trading content. I have a, a personal page as well, but I, I try to get away from trading uh, on that page. You know, you'll see it on Instagram as well. I, I try to make it more about, show that life isn't just about trading. It's about the other things that I love. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm all over social media. Uh, LinkedIn as well, I suppose. I just never check it. YouTube, obviously. Um, and just don't ever hesitate about reaching out. I, I don't bite. Um, if you have a question, I, I will answer it. Um, I just I want to help traders get better. That's it. Yeah, I would definitely second that because um, I've asked to kill a lot of questions over the years. Just um, And he's always provided free content on top of the content on YouTube. Definitely check out his YouTube channel and the the training coach podcast as well you didn't mention that but i'm going to mention that for you because oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you I'm, I'm still new still new to the podcast thing. <laughs> Under, underselling yourself there but uh no definitely check that out because i've um listened to quite a few episodes and i did actually enjoy it and every single episode you seem to take uh take value from it and i um, learn something from it whether it's the pomodo technique or something else uh definitely take something from it every single episode so Check out that YouTube and podcast. Akil, is there anything you wanted to uh, conclude with for the listeners um, and before we wrap up the podcast? Uh, no, I just want to say I appreciate you having me on. Um, as you can imagine, I, I do a lot of these, these interviews and whatnot, and, and this was a very fun one. Uh, some of them get awkward and, and weird. Uh, I loved the way this one it was an intelligent conversation. It was, I, I think it was very valuable for uh, your listeners. I know it was value, valuable for me. I learned something um, of value. So it's just, uh, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to be a guest on your podcast. And then hopefully uh, some of the listeners of my podcast now come over and uh, become subscribers to yours as well. Yeah, well, thanks thanks a lot for Akil for the conversation. I've definitely learned a lot from it myself and I'll go over it a few times and take the little nuggets you, uh, you share with, uh, with the listeners all the time.